Hi, I'm Mary Worden, and this is Premier Health Now On Air, COVID-19 edition, a Premier Health podcast. This is the week of April 26th, 2021. Hey there! Do you ever wake up and feel like your life has become Groundhog Day? Just a lot of the same thing, over and over again. And at least for me, I am really missing more social activities, adventure, and just mixing things up. Every day, same routine, same boredom. So. What does returning to normal look like? Even though I don't think any of us can come out of this pandemic unchanged, we have a chance to get back to a resemblance of what life was before. If you zone out while I'm talking and you just wait around for the experts to come on, I totally understand. I'm pretty sure that my friends and family do that in our everyday conversations, but please listen to this. Vaccines are now available to every adult in America. Everyone, you can get vaccinated if you've been waiting for it to be your time and you've been waiting to get an appointment and it costs you zero dollars. It is 100% free and it can save your life and the life of people that you care about. Joining us again today, following his second dose of the vaccine, is Premier Health's Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Mark Belcastro. Hey, Dr. Belcastro. Corona cases are rising again. How is Ohio doing? Well, we, you know, about a week or two ago, we were, we saw a little bit of an uptrend, but not anything that would indicate that we were going to end up back in the situation that we saw ourselves in in December and January, you know, November, December, January. We watched it really closely, but I think our governor is a little bit more cautious about opening up, but he's given us that that number of, you know, 50 cases per 100,000 that he's going to stick to. So it it was nice that he gave us a precise sort of endpoint in you know to, to to at least hold on to. But some of the states where they have opened up sooner are you know are seeing the uptick, particularly Michigan with that UK variant. What else can you tell us about the UK variant? Other than the fact that they call it 50 times more transmissible, which is a which is a bit concerning. Most experts agree that the vaccine provides some protection against that, and it's one of the mo- it's one of the earlier variants identified uh, initially in the UK. That's why they call it the UK variant or B one 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 seven, I think. And then, uh, since it was the first one to make its way over here, it's the one that's been able to, you know, grow and be the most prevalent variant at this time. We knew, you know, before we knew how transmissible it was, and to say this one was 50 times more, you know, what does that what does that mean? That, you know, that means if I'm near somebody, maybe that 20 minute rule isn't as safe as it used to be. You know, six feet within six feet for 20 minutes without a mask. Maybe 
he knows what those numbers are, but I don't think we can be as comfortable with. That's why you just keep doing the same thing. You just stay stay with uh, stay on a task with you know the masking and the distancing in public. You know, unless you've come under certain situations that the CDC has cleared. You know, people that you know, everybody's vaccinated. Nobody that you're around is immune compromised and that type of thing. Is there any data that talks about if men and women have a different immune response to having COVID? Actually, actually yes, women are, are uh, it doesn't, you know, th- there have been more men that have, you know, gotten sick from COVID than women, slightly statistically, but women do have a more, I guess the best word would be robust immune response. It has to do with more of the female hormones and how they attach to receptors are giving them just sort of an edge. Uh, You know, the downside of that could be, uh, you know, we tend to see more autoimmune diseases in women than in men slightly. So sometimes that enhanced immune response can be in our benefit. Sometimes, you know, it might be the reason for, you know, susceptibility to something else. Yeah, so a slightly more robust response. And are there any differences in how men and women respond to getting the vaccine? Well, you know, I, I don't know if anybody's tracking any data on that. They, they likely, they may be, but you would think that the, that response in women of that second dose might make them, and, and again, how, how bad we feel is always subjective. You and I may have the same symptoms that I may, might say, oh, I felt horrible, and you might go, it wasn't so bad. So the degree of symptoms, but over a large population of people, those things should level out. And yes, you would think that uh, women would report more more periods of uh, being off work or being really down and out for those 12 to 18 hours because of that robust response. I've talked to a few in our organization that got really, really sick, but I'm sure there were some men that had, that had the same, but those were all, those are all anecdotal. A lot of people in their 20s say that after hearing how bad the side effects are, that if they haven't gotten COVID yet, they probably won't because herd immunity is probably going to happen soon. So why take the risk with the vaccine? What would you tell a young patient who shared those kinds of thoughts with you? I would tell them that how you might feel for those 12 to 18 hours after the vaccine, are you ready Are you ready to feel that way for uh, seven days and possibly a few months later be weak, tired, and have prolonged symptoms? So, you know, that's, that's what I would say to them. What's your, what's your choice? If, if you want to call the vaccine poison, I'm just going to tell you, pick your poison. And, you know, this latter one is much, much worse. The other thing I would say is if, if, every, if you feel like you're a responsible person and you want to contribute to society, if, if, the, way, if the pathway to herd immunity was not vaccination, but getting an infection, do you know how many, if we had no vaccine and we said, let's just open up the country, wait till we get to herd immunity with everybody getting an infection, 
you know, we would, our hospitals would be overrun. We were, there would be so many deaths. There would be so much pain and suffering on our system to get to that herd immunity. Why, if we have a vaccine, why would that be the path we would want for our country? And if, if you want to be, you know, a responsible citizen and contribute to society, get the vaccine. Don't get the herd immunity by people getting infections. That's what I would say to them. Dr. Belcastro, you and I have talked about herd immunity before, but what happens if we don't reach herd immunity? Well, we will because we'll get, you know, everybody will get vaccinated, you know, eventually. But if, you know, if we didn't, the pandemic would not end. I mean, if we we would continue to have uh, outbreaks and surges in different pockets and, uh, so the pandemic wouldn't end. So that's, if we didn't reach herd immunity, that's, we pretty much destined ourselves to uh, a really prolonged period of pandemic. While we know you should get the second dose of the vaccine if you're getting Moderna or Pfizer, how protected are you after the first dose? You know, maybe about 50%. You know, the, how they say the second dose, you're 90, 95%. Probably about 50%, 50% of the people have some degree of protection. So at that point, you know, you could say if I'm exposed to COVID, flip, flip a coin, and that's my chances of, of getting it, uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, a 5% chance or less after getting your second vaccine. That's why the second one's important. And what changes take place in the body after the second dose? Have you ever heard of uh, how it's stated that our immune system has memory? Kind of like people who have a bee sting once and develop a little bit of swelling around their lips or their eyes or the area gets really swollen. And then they get another bee sting and they get full body hives. But that's when, you know, that next bee sting can lead to what they call anaphylaxis. So people start carrying those EpiPens. So that's just your body. So when your immune system responds to something you've received and then you receive it again, it says, I remember you. I'm just going to be stronger this time because you're not supposed to be in my body. Now, the things we're allergic to, you know, that's. That, those are dangerous situations, but in a vaccine situation, it works in our favor because our body responds and does the things it needs to do to make antibodies and to prepare ourselves to fight infection. There's kind of two sides to your immune response. One is making antibodies and the other one is uh, your cells uh, are able to fight infections and secrete poison and things. And it's actually... It's actually the cellular one that secretes different chemicals in your body that gives you the fever and the muscle aches and all that kind of stuff. It's not the antibody formation that's causing those symptoms. Scientists are starting to study whether the vaccines have a broad beneficial effect on patients with continuing issues after some long COVID patients feel much better after getting the vaccine. What are some of the benefits of the vaccine besides the obvious? You know, that's really interesting because... I know on the last podcast, we talked about my journey and my COVID, and I had uh, some symptoms that were probably related to COVID, 
uh, once my fatigue got better, I still had this uh, persistent tachycardia that I actually had to go on medication for. And I also had some weirdness about my ability to regulate my temperature. I would get kind of chilly. And then in the middle of the night, I would wake up and have to take all the blankets off. And all of that, now I, I'm still on my medication for my, my blood pressure. So I, I don't know uh, if that's, you know, if I would go off of it, would my uh, heart rate get better or not? But I can tell you, I got my first dose on early March and my second dose today as we're talking, as you know. But I, I can say over the last month, I haven't had any of those temperature issues. Uh, I don't know what my heart rate would do if I would go off the medication, but I'm obviously not going to do that right now. But it makes me wonder, did that dose help me with those symptoms that had been prolonged? Again, that's what we call in medicine, that's anecdotal, meaning it's just one time. It doesn't necessarily point to a trend or a causation, but it made me wonder. I know that right now they're collecting data on those patients to see if that observed thing that people have been reporting is real. If it is real, and it probably is real to some degree, if it's real, is it happening in 25% of the people with long COVID, 10%, 70, 75%. So as we get more data, we might have a better idea. Right now, you know, we say anywhere from up to a third of people, particularly if you've been hospitalized, uh, up to a third of people can experience that those long-term symptoms. But uh, there might be something to that. We just need more data. But personally, I may have experienced it. So we'll see. We're going to take a quick break. Are COVID vaccines causing thousands of deaths? Dr. Belcastro has the answer when we return. Stay with us. We know getting care comes with a little uncertainty right now. But behind these masks, you'll find unwavering dedication, compassion, and protection for you and the care we provide to you. You won't find us backing down. We won't stop. As long as you need us, we'll be here standing strong. Because it's who we are, and care is behind everything we do. Our care lives here. Premier Health. And we're back. Dr. Belcastro, let's shift gears and talk about AstraZeneca's vaccine. With some news of potential rare blood clotting conditions, do you think this vaccine is going to be safe and effective? So with the, you know, when you, when you, when you look at something like that scientifically, you say, okay, what's the normal incidence of people in the population having a blood clot. So let's say, let's say they're normal, let's say in, in any given month, these 10,000 people, 2% of them will experience some type of blood clot without, you know, any doing anything different, whether it's a clot in their leg or a pulmonary embolism or something like that. So let's say these same 10,000 people get AstraZeneca and only 2% of them get a blood clot. So who's to say it wasn't the same 2% that would have gotten the blood clot, whether they would have been vaccinated or not. So you, so you look at a complication like that and you say, is it more than the normal population? With other vaccines, if it is possible, we don't need to 
you know, we don't need to, to risk it. And we can just say, okay, we'll just hold off on AstraZeneca for now because we have Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, if we didn't have, have those and the pandemic was ripping and roaring, uh, we might say to ourselves, you know what, let's just keep it going. So sometimes the risk is relative to what's going on or what else you have available. Up until now, vaccines have been administered under emergency use authorization. Now that Pfizer has over six months of data, they can approve their vaccine for full FDA licensure and approval. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, so emergency use, use authorization can only be utilized by the FDA uh, during a public emergency when there's no other alternatives. So let's say coronavirus wasn't a pandemic, it was just the new flu or something, and they submitted that, and the FDA says, no, we're not going to give you EUA because there's no public emergency. But given the pandemic and no alternatives, then EAU can be utilized as a mechanism. EAU is not approval, so you're right. That drug is not approved by the FDA. You know, you always have phase one trials, which are safety, phase two trials, which are efficacy, and then phase three or follow-up. You, you can do a limited amount of phase three to get your EUA. To get a full approval, you have to have longer follow-up. So the fact that they've gotten more cases, which means they can follow a larger number of people for a longer period of time, gives them potentially enough data to submit for full approval. As long as the pandemic, now if the pandemic were to somewhere somehow to be declared over and done, and the drug hadn't been approved yet, we would have to stop administering it until it got approved. I saw an interesting headline, and I want to know your thoughts on the accuracy of what it stated. Are COVID vaccines causing thousands of deaths? Because of the way you asked that question, as of about a week ago, we had, in the United States, we had administered about 175, 180 million doses. There had been about 2,500 deaths reported of those 185 million. So is that a couple thousand? Yeah. But that was point, it was point zero 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 one seven percent of the people vaccinated. Were all those deaths related to? They were just deaths in, you know, within the period of time that somebody received the COVID vaccine. So you know, within the 48 or 72 hours, a lot of those deaths could have been due to something else. You know, people are still getting in car accidents, having heart attacks, having strokes and things like that, you know, and if it coincides with a vaccine, was it the vaccine? Nobody would ever know. So if you just take that one statement, let's just say it was a thousand, you know, and you go to the internet, you go, Thousand, thousand people died from the COVID vaccine. Yeah, but almost 200 million got it. So, <laughs> I just thought of something. You know how we say, you know, whether it's at a party or wherever you are, you don't talk about uh, religion and politics. So, so just like in politics, or in, or in, you know, politics are a lot of sound bites taken out of context. 
And sometimes in religion, there's sound bites taken out of context. Well, in science, you can take a sound bite. You can take any statistic and make it work in your favor, depending on how you say it, without providing context around it. Dr. Belcastro, there are now certain age groups of kids in vaccine studies. What do we know about the data in those studies so far? We know Pfizer has reported that it's been shown to be safe and extremely I even think they quoted 100% effective. So they could easily uh, give that to the FDA anytime soon for an EUA for children 12 to 15, which is really, really good news. Uh, because, you know, that, you know, that would be the population that would be still, uh, while maybe not getting as sick, obviously able to spread it. So, yeah, that was good news. So hopefully we'll... Uh, we'll see something come of that very soon. Here's where we are today, a year in. We've been quarantining, masking, social distancing, and basically doing whatever we have to to survive a pandemic. What can getting the vaccine mean for people? So getting, so I'll, I'll personalize it initially. So for me, the vaccine means that I can... Uh, Visit my grandchildren, you know, who I have not been able to see uh, and for any extended period of time, and you know, since the pandemic started. So that's what it, mean. it means. I, if I want to go to Starbucks and have a cup of coffee, I may feel a little bit more comfortable now taking off my mask and have. Or if I want to go out to eat, particularly with my immune compromised, I, you know. Co- from my treatment, I didn't want to go out in public. So it really frees me up, you know, a couple of weeks past the second dose to do a lot of things that I was being very cautious about. And I think anybody could take their own personal situation and be able to say, now I feel comfortable doing this. I know a lot of people have liberalized what they're doing, but, you know, it's to me, you know, doing that type of behavior it, it, everything's a form of Russian roulette. So in your circles of friends and stuff, everybody's saying, I've been fine, I've been fine, I've been fine. And so you think that that it's okay, but it's never zero. And so I would just tell people getting the vaccine sort of ends the game of Russian roulette for you. I would still pay attention to, you know, if I'm going to, if, if I was going to, if somebody, if I was going to visit some family members and somebody in my family uh, was under treatment for cancer, I would say, you know what, I've been vaccinated, but I'm still going to put on a mask around them. Being treated for cancer, COVID could kill them right now. How hard is it for me to wear a mask to, to not have to deal with knowing that I did it and they they got COVID, you know, because still a small percentage of people might be able to transmit it. We don't know. But but other than that, uh, you can unmask. You can be with other people who have been vaccinated. So it, it just really, again, I'm going to go back to the Russian roulette. You can, you know, you're not playing that game anymore. Dr. Belcastro, on our first episode together, you talked about wearing a mask 
to protect not just ourselves, but others around us and to love your neighbors. And that has really stuck with me over these months. I've really tried to be more aware of how my actions could affect other people during these tough times. And if I can do something to be better for my neighbor, for my friends, for my family, for the entire community, why wouldn't I do that? And I know wearing a mask is not fun. It's the pits. But I catch everything in cold and flu season, and I have been healthy all winter. It's prevented colds and flus for a lot of us. So there are some more benefits to wearing a mask. It has, and it's, it's you know, think back to something in your life that you were going through two or three years ago that wasn't, wasn't fun, uh, but you endured it. And you look back and you go, you know what? That was only a small little sliver of time in my life and I got through it. You know, everything in front of you looks so huge, but behind behind you in the rearview mirror is like, okay, we did that. And it's, it's like this masking. It's like, you know, everybody hates it. I mean, who would like it? But but to discard it, to me, is is so unkind of an act. And... Come on, there's people in the world that are suffering greatly for a variety of reasons, whether it's homelessness, floods, death, famine, hunger. I mean, my goodness, and you can't wear a mask. And as always, what's one last takeaway that you'd like to leave listeners with? So I always like, you know, like to use my sports analogies. And I think the last time we talked, I said, for marathon runners, we were like mile 20, you know, the hardest point. Now I would say, you know, we're maybe on the five-yard line. Or if you watch track and field and you see people who run those long distances and they'll get to that last lap and they'll start sprinting as best they can, you know, that final kick, so they say. So we're kind of in that that final sprint or that final kick and you know in football those could be some of the hardest yards to get and for those long distance runners that can be the most painful part but the end is really really close so just hang in there it's close you know if we stick you know every the more people that stick with it the faster we'll get there so for people who aren't it's like people on the on the on the offensive line who just decide they're not going to block because they're tired of blocking. Well, guess what? The running back is not going to get those five yards to the end zone. So if everybody blocks, we're going to get to the end zone. So, you know, keep blocking and everybody do your part. You know, the chain is only as strong as the weakest link. That would be my message to everybody. I love a good sports analogy. Thank you so much, Dr. Belcastro. You're welcome. Thank you, Mary. Can you imagine smiles in public, hugs, vacations, weddings, cooking out on the 4th of July, seeing people we haven't seen in way too long and not being scared? Because of this pandemic, so many of us have missed out on special moments with family and friends. With half of our population still unvaccinated and COVID-19 cases rising again in some areas, when will the pandemic end? It's up to us. 
As much as we are bored and tired of distancing and masking and all the things we've been doing to stay safe, we are the ones who will determine how quickly this can end. Keep making good decisions, and if you haven't yet and it's medically safe for you, get vaccinated. We all have the opportunity to be a part of getting back to normal. You can get more information 24-7 at premierhealth.com slash COVID-19. And we want you to get the information you need about COVID-19 vaccines from people you can trust. Visit our COVID-19 vaccine hub for up-to-date interviews with our physician leaders, fact sheets, news, and more about COVID-19 vaccines at premierhealth.com slash vaccine. This has been Premier Health Now On Air. COVID-19 edition, a Premier Health podcast. Our care lives here.